It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. So there's something that I wanted to bring up and discuss with for a, a few weeks now that was based on a, a recent series of conversation that I had with my mom, Susan, who uh, lives in Detroit and, and she's been working in the medical field for like 30 years. And she brought to my attention that several people in her office independently have consistently come up to her and asked her questions like, is Jason married yet? Why isn't he? Why does he have someone special in his life? Why? Why? Why, what's going on with Jason? What's going on with his love life? And they ask her these probing questions about like, well, why is he still single? Is he, is he okay? Is everything all right with him? And she was just expressing her annoyance at these people that she's not even really that close to, their coworkers, you know, asking about my love life and my marriage status and my relationships. And, you know, her response was basically like, yeah, he's doing great. He's happy. He is, he is single. Uh, and, you know, he's just, he's not, he's not in a rush. And they're just like, oh, I, I just think, you know, he, he should he should be married by now. And they start dropping the shoulds on her. And I just think it was an interesting contrast because lately I've been um, I've been reflecting on my feelings around being single and versus being in a relationship and just the overall kind of stigmas of being single, like the stigma of singleness in our society and what that means and, and why why that's such a concerning topic for certain people. You know, and these women in particular at my mom's office bringing that up. And not coincidentally, the past month or so on Instagram, I've been noticing these posts from influencers and content creators holding up these handwritten signs, um, whether they're on a piece of paper or on a piece of cardboard. And they're all very similar. And I've only seen women doing it. I haven't seen any men holding up these signs in their posts, but it says um, something like, I'm 32, yes, I'm single, no, I'm not married. No, I don't have kids. And I'm doing great. And some version of those messages that they've handwritten on a piece of cardboard or paper and holding it up like with this look on their face. And all of the captions on these posts are very similar of kind of a similar version of what my mom was experiencing with these coworkers of my family or my friends or my coworkers or somebody in my life has been questioning why I'm this particular age. A lot of the women on, on Instagram I've noticed have been in their... Um, late 20s to mid 30s and trying to dispel this stigma of, of singleness in our society where I think there's just this interesting mentality of you're this age and you're not married or you're completely single and not dating. Therefore, there must be something wrong with you. And I just think the response has been so interesting to see on social media. And of course, my mom responding to those women that I've been meditating on it recently. And I don't know if you remember this, and I, I'm, I'm laying a lot on you because I would love your response as I always do to these things. There was a, a, a yoga class. There was a yoga, I'm sorry, it wasn't a yoga nidra. It was a breathwork class that you and I did at your yoga studio maybe about a year and a half ago where you took me to a breathwork and trauma release class at your yoga studio. And I remember at one point during that breathwork class, and it was really interesting to see what was emotionally being released for me. 
I had a really profound realization that I had never had a conscious awareness of before, and it, it really has stuck with me the last 18 months and related to this conversation. I realized that there was a part of me that didn't believe I was lovable unless I had someone romantically in my life. And I'd never realized that that was a belief system that was running me, that the evidence of my lovability or desirability or being enough was related to, oh, well, this person loves me and they're in my life, and so they must think I'm enough and they must love me, which validates that for me. So it's been interesting to be single and not feel like I have to be as reliant on that because of the awareness and then applying it in action. But I guess it's just this overall thing of, of meditating on how many people are feeling pressured by these external forces to have someone in their life to, hey, I'm lovable, I'm worthy, look, I have someone, rather than, you know what? I don't have anybody in my life right now romantically, and I'm okay. I'm not, not only just okay with that, but I'm not going to just have someone to fill space to try and provide evidence of like how great I am. And I'm just curious, like your thoughts on this, because I've just been noticing a lot of people are meditating on it and posting about it recently. And I just think it's a cool reflection because I've been really thinking about, I'm a man who's approaching his mid-40s, and I don't have anyone I'm dating currently, and I don't obviously have, therefore, a, a wife or a life partner. And um, I don't know, I've just been really sinking into that a lot lately of my own feelings versus what society is telling me I ought to have by this age in terms of relationship or what I ought to be doing with that. One thing that I was reflecting on as you were talking is yeah. I, <laughs> a show I watched on Netflix recently. It's called Love is Blind. I haven't seen it. It's one of those kind of guilty pleasure type of shows not that different from something like the bachelor okay and i actually find both shows really interesting because i started watching the bachelor and the bachelorette and all the other bachelor shows with friends and it's like a social activity but i feel very conflicted about watching those shows for a lot of reasons because i think the bachelor series in general tends to be like very superficial and it's like a lot about gossip. It's, you know, there's always like perfect looking people on these shows and there's always like created drama. It just feels very superficial. So it's not fully enjoyable for me to watch. It feels like, hmm, what can I say? It just, yeah, it feels like maybe, you know, that... Is it reinforcing, like, maybe cultural ideals of looks or status oh, or those sure. things? for sure. For sure okay. it is. And then especially, I don't really like watching it. The friends of mine that typically like to watch the show like to do it in... This is a bit of a tangent, but I will just <laughs> get this out of my system now, is that they like to watch it and, like, comment on everybody. And I found myself, actually, because the, the new season of The Bachelor started right at the beginning of 2020 and I remember thinking I don't know if I want to go watch it so I don't think I really want to watch it period but I I really felt conflicted about watching it socially because it was just a group of people commenting on the girls and like what they were saying and what they were looking like what they were wearing and how old they were and all this stuff. it was just really interesting but I, I went and I started watching this season which is actually about to end in a week or two 
as of the time that we're recording this. And it's interesting because that show is like a big social commentary on relationships. And first of all, most of the characters on the show, the women, they're real people, but they're kind of playing characters, are in their 20s. And it's interesting because it's like they all seem so desperate to be in relationships. And then I started watching the show Love is Blind, which is brand new. It's a Netflix show. And I, I really didn't think I would enjoy it. But it is actually very fascinating because the concept behind the show is that the people go on and they don't see each other. They talk literally through a wall and they get to know each other. And then they have it's <laughs> it's it's part of the draw of the show is because it's so nuts. So they have like X amount of girls and X amount of guys, equal amounts, and it's all heterosexual. There's no homosexual characters in the show. Actually, I take that back. There's one bisexual person, but the show is designed for men and women to pair up. They, so don't, give, they don't give the opportunity for people of the same sex to meet each it's other. It's mostly heteronormative. Yes. Got it. Okay. But they have people from different backgrounds, different races, but generally in the same age range. And... Anyways, the twist of the show is that they're kept separate. The genders are kept separate and they only meet in rooms where they're separated by a wall and they can't see each other. They can just hear each other's voices and they call it an experiment because they want to see is love actually blind. And so they have to talk to each other. But the big catch of the show, which is clear from the trailer, I'm not giving anything away, is that they have to meet each other and then it... (laughs) so ridiculous over a matter of a day a few days they have to decide if they want to get engaged or not what and they literally propose to one another within a matter of days and then the only way that they can meet each other in person is if they're engaged seriously yes and so okay this might be a spoiler well i won't say exact i won't i don't want to give away anything for you jay i don't know if you'd ever watch it jason i mean conceptually it's fine but uh for the listener i'll talk a little bit more about it so if you want to skip forward a minute or so (laughs) there are a number of people that, that end up going forward and getting engaged and then they meet for the first time and they have to decide, like, are they okay with each other, the way that they look and smell and, wow. and move and all this stuff. Wow. So it is really fascinating. And actually, I, I won't spoil it because I kept watching the show, like, very curious. Like, what are they going to think each, of each other? Right? And there's a couple reactions where you're like, huh, this is an interesting social experience. But the thing that they don't talk about on the show, which ties into your question, Jason, is that they're all so young. Like most of them are in their late 20s, early 30s. And I'm thinking like it's reinforcing, same with The Bachelor, it's reinforcing this idea that you need to like partner up and get engaged or married like in your late 20s. And on both shows, in fact, most dating shows that I've watched, there's like this tension of these like 28-year-olds being like, oh my gosh, I've waited my whole life to meet someone. I'm like, you're 28 years old. (laughs) That's not your whole life, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully it's like a fourth of your life, right? Third at minimum, if you you live, you know, if nothing else gets in the way of your life. But, you know, like it's this strange thing. Every season of The Bachelor, this comes up. Like they all act like, oh my gosh, like how come I haven't met someone yet? You know, and there's often like these sob stories, these people like acting like they're getting married so late. And then when they have people in their mid 
30s on these shows. They act like they're so old. Oh, God. Oh, like, God. Well, they, there's a character there was on this season of The Bachelor. She was like 36, maybe, maybe 34. Maybe she was 34, and she was like so annoyed with the 24-year-old. She's like, oh, my God, that girl's a baby. And I'm like, you're both basically babies in your own way. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just so funny because they act like 34 is like the old person. And so I think it is reinforcing this cultural narrative that if you're not settled down by your early 30s, there's something wrong with you or you've waited your whole life to meet someone, you know, the, all these different different things. Not to mention that both shows are pressuring people to literally get engaged in very short amount of time. Like, Love is Blind is encouraging people to get engaged in a matter of days. And then they get married, by the way. By the end of the show, they get married. I think the total length of the time from the day they walk on set to the very end of the show is less than 40 days. Right? So they're, they have to meet somebody, decide if they want to get engaged with them, meet them for the first time in person, spend a few weeks with them, meet each other's families, and then decide... It, if they're going to go through with the wedding. What well, I mean, wh- right. What is so it? it's like, it's, it, to your point, it's all rush. And same thing with the bachelor. Every time I watch the bachelor, I'm thinking these people spend like a total of maybe a week together, all things considered. And then they have to decide if they're going to get engaged. And these people, th- and like on love is blind. These people are like saying they love each other within days. This is fascinating. It, it's truly fascinating. Really? And it's like the shows, I watch them because they're fascinating or because of some social element, right? Like I enjoy the experience of watching these type of things socially for the most part. I don't like the judgmental side of it. I mean, like commenting on people's appearance and relationship and behavior, like I'm not that interested in. It's very gossipy. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of, of gossip, but... Uh, anyways, for whatever reason, I just I keep deciding to watch these things socially. And um, I do just find it interesting, though, how it does seem like even in the younger generations, there's still all of these ideas around speed. And in my experience, I'm not yet married. I've dated a number of people, had a number of long term relationships. And it's like I've been in a lot of relationships where it takes a long time for the the word love to even be used. Right. It usually is a right. minimum of a few months. And sometimes, like one of my relationships, at least it took a year for that word to be used, right? Which was yeah. on the longer end. But like, I remember thinking to myself throughout that year, what's the rush? And it's just a word. I would rather that word have meaning behind it and be used very intentionally and confidently. Right. And if, I have never been proposed to, and I'm grateful for that. I I hope that if and when I'm proposed to, it's the only time it happens to me and it's done with so much intention, right? And it's hopefully the first person that, the first time that person has proposed. That would be my preference. It's not necessary. But, you know, basically, I just want meaning. I want meaning behind words. I want meaning behind experiences when it comes to relationships. I want depth. It's not about speed. And I think that that's part of your... Your point here, Jason, I think, is Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. there's this strange like 
speed. I mean, even my mother puts it on me too. Like, it's, I was just your about to mother bring that up. is kind of like the opposite of mine, yes. where it's like my mom is the one asking about like is so and so married, what all of that stuff. And I actually think that my sister and I, since neither one of us are married, maybe in a way like we've taught my mother some acceptance because she's kind of pressured us a lot. And then like now she's kind of like, well, I don't have any control over this. Like they're they're either going to get married or they're not. They're either going to have kids or they're not. You know, like it's oh, I didn't know she had shifted. Not, well, I don't know for sure, but verbally, it doesn't sound like she's like in that much of a hurry. And she's kind of like she's more in a place of acceptance with it, at least in terms of how she presents it to me. Because it's like, listen, I, I would say this to my mom, and I do whenever she brings it up. I'm like, what? What's your rush? Do you really want me to rush into getting married and having kids? What if it's the wrong person? What does she say when you say that to her as a response? I'm not sure that we've had a deep conversation enough for me to really know what she thinks of that. But like it is interesting. But I think part of it is that, and maybe this is the same thing as true with your mom's friends that are, or, or people at the office that are saying this to her is it's just a, it's a cultural conditioning thing or it's, it's a, a generational thing too. I think that there's like, a lot of people are interested in each other's romance, right? And that's why shows like The Bachelor and Love is Blind and whatever else exists is we're interested in romance. And sometimes it's an escapism thing. And right. it can be a comparison right. thing too. I mean, as human beings, I think we operate a lot under comparison. We operate on social norms and hierarchies yep mm -hmm. and there's also maybe this idea of like well i'm married this person should be married too or i'm married oh this person isn't married am i missing out on something you know it's like we're all just kind of trying to figure out ourselves through the lens of other people's lives and i mean to me i just have compassion i think that the people in the office they just have some sort of program in their head that makes it makes them think that you should be married jason but really it's completely up to you it's not you know their perspectives on you say nothing about you they say everything about them of in course. other words right and yeah. I, it's easier said than done because when people come at us with these shoulds and these judgments we can often fall under this idea of like well should i be married am i missing out yeah is yeah. there something wrong with me yes you know and we've talked before how about a year ago i read that book I think it's called the case for Mr. Good Enough. Is that yeah, we've we've Is linked to it in uh, in previous episodes. We'll link to it in the show Do you notes. Remember the exact title? Um, it's called something Mr. Good Enough. I thought it was the case for Mr. Good Enough. Yes, I believe you are correct. And I also want to be able to pronounce Lori. How do you pronounce her last oh, name? Oh, Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Yeah, and okay. we can link to that in the show she's notes for so, this episode. She's, oh, marry him. The case for settling for Mr. Good Enough. Is the official type. She's actually one of my dream guests. I'd love to have her on this show. So Hashtag manifesting. Yeah. Oh, I will. It's only a matter of time. Because she is just fascinating to me. And when I read that book, I, I a lot of things came up for me. This idea of like, I don't want to settle. Right? And I think this sure. comes up for you, Jason. Of course it does. Well, we covered this actually in our episode with um with Jason that we'll link to in the show notes in terms of our attachment styles. Yep. We really we I remember we covered chunks of this conversation there. That'll be linked to in the show notes mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We'll link to episodes and books and everything else that we're discussing here today. Yeah, so so for you, Jason, is there 
an idea of like I guess that's what I wonder from the outside as your friend and also a, a previous partner of yours. Yes. Is I know that there have been people that you have thought that you might marry, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, your partner. Can I say any names, or do you want me to just? Mm, I'd rather not. <laughs> no, I ju- okay. no don't, just because like I out of consideration for them if they are. True, yeah, true. I, I, yeah, I think let's well, not do I that. I mean, I think a, the person I was about to refer to wouldn't mind, but true. Okay, so the person that you dated before me. Yes. I, I haven't brought this up in a while, but I bet you remember this, is when you and I started dating, one of our mutual friends was like, huh, you know, I really thought Jason was gonna marry her. I remember, remember that? that. I do remember that. And I was that. like, mm-hmm. we were like mm-hmm. a newer couple and I was really taken aback. Like basically, oh, I'm surprised that he's dating you because I thought he was going to marry the woman before you. It was a little insensitive and blunt. <laughs> it was in in retrospect. But in, in retrospect. Know, now that time has passed, it doesn't bother me at all. And I, I think it's funny because I think you also thought you might marry that person. Yeah, no, I, I did in, indeed. And I, I think I think it was. Um, and that was almost 10 years ago. If, if Was I, it 10 years ago that you were dating? Uh, it was not, it was not, no, it was 2011. So nine years ago. It's interesting because if I reflect on that in particular, to be quite honest, there's layers to it. And the layers are this, it's cause I've only felt that with a handful of people I've dated. I mean, not, not a full handful, but like maybe three people. And I think it was because there was a, a depth of intimacy and connection that I felt where it was like, Oh, there is a possibility that I could have this person as my life partner, right? This is very specific. It's a, it's just a feeling. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's, it's just a depth or a vulnerability. But beyond that, if I'm honest about it, there was an element of it that was trying to fulfill the happiness formula in the sense of, I look at it, the analogy I use rather is like a puzzle piece. And I'm looking at my life, cool, I've got my career, I've got a roof over my head, I've got my car, I've got my friends, I've got my health, but whoa, whoa, there's a missing piece. What's that missing piece? A partnership, a wife, a life partner. Like, why? Well, I, I, I can't have an incomplete puzzle. I've got to fill that piece. So to me, there was an element, and not coming from a, a desperate, rushed feeling as we're discussing that society sort of has this rush mentality, especially with the millennial gender. It's like, you've got to do this. But there was an element of, you can't go through without, and you can't have an incomplete puzzle, dude. Like, that's not okay. You have to fill that gaping hole in your life puzzle with someone because if you don't, there's something wrong with you. So I think subconsciously, because it wasn't a conscious thought of, I need to complete the puzzle, but there was an element of me. Check off the box. Check. Yeah, I mean, that's another great analogy. Check it off the list, fill in the puzzle piece. Whatever analogy we want to use, it was the same mentality of, your life in your happiness won't be complete unless you fill this thing, right? And I think I referenced this maybe on a previous episode of the, you know, the scene in Jerry Maguire where he's, you know, in the elevator with Renee Zellweger and he's like, you complete me. So there's this, there's this- an elevator in an office. I office. remember being in an office. I don't know, but- I think but, she walks in. But it's, but it's, that's not important. <laughs> that's not important. The setting is not important. The point is it's this subconscious mentality that I noticed within myself going back to that realization I had in yoga class with you when we were doing the breath work of there's an incompleteness to you unless you have this person of a certain status of life partner wife in your life. Like you must not be lovable. You must not be a whole person. You must not, there's something wrong with you if you don't have this. And I had to look at that for myself deeply. And, you know, I had a dating, this is tangential, but related. I had a dating experience recently 
where I was discussing with, we're not, we're no longer dating, but we had this, this discussion of, she's like, why, you know, I, I'm here, you know, in LA, I, I came back to LA cause I want, I want to have a husband and kids like now. And it's like, no, I didn't. Okay. Like I'm not focused on that in this moment. And, and it was like, is that coming from you? Because that's a genuine desire that you have, or is it you're at a specific age and society is telling you you ought to have a husband and children in a house by this age. Like, where is it coming from? And her response was, I don't really know, but I think it's important for as individuals for us to ask ourselves, are our desires and motivations genuinely our own or are they being fueled by our mothers, our coworkers, society, the media? When we say we want something, do we actually want it or is it a program that's been installed and we've just chosen to believe? And there's the other element of forcing something versus just letting it happen. And or like following, is this meant to be? Are you manifesting it? You know, is manifesting the same as forcing and controlling? Is it, are you just kind of, you know, letting think your life play out? I mean, these are fine lines. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, and lines. that was part of the thing reason I enjoyed reading Lori's book. Marry him was she was observing that people, that women in their thirties weren't married because they were being too picky and they kept waiting for the perfect person and then how the dating pool was starting to shrink down a lot. And I think maybe that's part of what happens on shows like The Bachelor is like they're all feeling the pressure of the dating pool, like the good person is the good people are no longer available. We talked about that in the episode with Jason Green too and about attachment styles Yes, is that a lot of the secure attachment style people get married very young. And then the people that are anxious or avoidant avoidant tend to take longer to get into relationships and then they struggle a lot and then they don't end up with somebody secure unless that person becomes divorced or something and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I'm really of the belief like I think I like to take a step back and just try to stay very present and not judge myself or my life as much as I possibly can. Like why it just is what it is that I'm, I have more of a belief system. And I, I think it's like maybe a little bit of the co-creating curating or creating either word could work here is that there are forces at play. I believe that I don't have any control of. We don't have nearly as much control as we think that we do. And also as human beings, we're constantly evolving and learning lessons. So we can't be upset with ourselves because we didn't choose somebody. You know, like this idea of regretting that you broke up with someone or you oh, didn't marry right. the one that got, got away. away. Yep. It's like, that's so ridiculous too because you clearly ended the relationship for whatever reason you had at the time. So how can we regret things? Like we, we're different people by the time that we have regrets. So regret's kind of silly. And then we also have the advantage of, I mean, I think one of the greater advantages that I have dating now at this age and still not being married, I'm not, I'm just not in a rush for it because first of all, I'm a very liberal person. Like if I decide to have children, I don't need to be married to have children, right? I don't fall into that belief system and maybe I'll never get married and I'm okay with that too. My life does not need to be defined by somebody else's viewpoints on what's what you should or shouldn't do right and i think you're the same jason especially since you're a rebellious personality type right 
But then sometimes our consciousness is different from like what's deeper below the surface and all of our desires to fit in and get approval and be validated. And, you know, we're terrified of people thinking there's something wrong with us or whatever. The other advantage to me, though, is that I, if I do decide to have children, I'm in a much better place mentally to have children now than I ever have been before. And I think that'll be true as I grow older, as I continue to work on myself and reflect on my life. And I've, I've done a lot of selfish things before having children. Like I've kind of quote unquote, gotten that stuff out of my system. I've traveled the world. I've run businesses. I've, you know, I've, I've also had a chance to date a number of people and really figure out what I want. And, and that gave me perspective on what I wanted in a partner. You know, the partner that I'm choosing now is very different than a partner I would have chosen even a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Or attracted, you know, if you have this belief system that you attract people based on what you need or you attract people based on what you're struggling with or, you're, you know, like all these different reasons we choose partners. Like, again, my partner choices are constantly evolving. So for me, like, that's a benefit because I am somebody that, and I think a lot of people really do want this. Some people care more than others, but I think most people would say it, they only want to get married once, right? And some people say that they get married and they end up getting divorced even though they didn't want to, right? Yeah. Like I actually don't have a judgment on divorce. It's just not something that I would like. It sounds complicated and messy and hurtful and it sounds just a challenge I do personally would not want to go into mm-hmm. but also a lot of people have no control over that like you think that you choose a partner and you get married and you'll be there with them forever and i mean just so many things can go wrong like you could get into a marriage and that person could pass away suddenly this- right like there's so many factors beyond our control whether or not we get married and so my point being is like you could get married at 20 years old and get a divorce at 30 and be in the same place or, or get married at 30 years old and get a divorce at 40. Like it's just kind of it's it's interesting to me because all of these ideas, there's no guarantee. Like really, I'm coming back to your point, Jason, of like checking off the box and fitting the puzzle. Like there's no permanent relationship. No, and, and with well, anybody, with friends, family members, romantic partners, yeah. life partner, whatever. Like this idea of a life partner is also not fully true. Yeah, I think it's not true because there are no guarantees in life, as you were alluding to. You know, and it it makes me think of, in particular, the work of Alan Watts. How much I love his book, The Wisdom of Insecurity, which is saying that there there's really no predictability of anything in life. There's no guarantee for anything, and we spend so much life force energy trying to make life predictable, make it known, make it familiar, make it comfortable so that we keep ourselves safe and secure. But his point is like, none of that ever works because life itself is chaotic and unpredictable. And yeah, there's an order to life, but it's not something that we're always conscious of. So to your point, whether or not we have a life partner or have anything, there there, there are zero guarantees and we can't predict what's going to happen as much as we like to try. It's it's the illusion of security of life. But his point is that the nature of existence, whether humans want to align with it or not, we most often don't, is it's insecure, it's ever-changing, it's inconsistent, and life is always evolving. We're always evolving. So to your point before, I just want to do a quick callback. You said you know, the kind of partner you have now is not necessarily the same kind of person you would have had two years ago or years before that. That speaks to your evolution. 
And it also goes to show you, you have no idea maybe necessarily who or what you're going to want three years from now or five years from now. You just don't know. I think that's the interesting thing about marriage too is there's an element of it that's really beautiful and sacred. I'm committing to this person. And then there's this idea of some people that feel very boxed in when they're married. Like Mm. they're not allowed to Mm. change their minds or they always have to ask permission when they're in a relationship or what if they fall out of love with somebody and they want different things, but they feel like they have to stay together or, you know, like I think it, it really depends on your definition of marriage and your choices within a marriage. And it's also interesting too, because I feel like a lot of people, if they don't stay very conscious of it, enter into relationships either a, as you've been saying, due to societal pressure, yep. cultural norms, or they're going into relationships to get their needs met. And I know this came up for you, Jason, in, in one of your recent romantic experiences where you felt like the person just wanted anyone to marry and anyone to have children with. Right. Which yeah. to me is like a very ego-based, selfish thing. Like this, part, It wasn't about you and your connection. Correct. It was like, you'll do... Yeah, I felt right? like just a puzzle piece. Like, oh, you're a good shape for that puzzle piece. It was like, oh, really? And then there was this anger and resentment for you not fitting into the box that this person wanted to place you in and wanted the place that this person wanted you to fill. And that's really interesting, too. I mean, I think the older I get, the more I reflect on all of these different misconceptions that we have. Like, what romance is, what love is, what relationships are, what marriage are, what it would mean to be a parent, all of these different things. Like we're just experiencing them. And I think ultimately there's no right or wrong. Right. It's just really, it's very, yeah. very neutral. It's yeah. just that people put different labels on it. And there are some people who would feel so much inadequacy for not being in a relationship that they get into a relationship just to stop feeling inadequate. It's like, am I good enough now that I have a partner? Am I good enough now that I have a child? But that's not fair to your partner or your children if they're just there to check a box. Totally. And right? and, and I feel it's symptomatic of a larger mentality of when I get X, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll feel complete. And to your point, whether it's a partner or children or a house in a specific zip code, or a certain style of car, or a certain annual salary, I feel like we can superimpose this mentality on a lot of different things in life, which is, if I just follow this formula that I've been told, then that will lead to happiness and fulfillment. But I think the disillusionment comes, right, is if someone is not necessarily working on their trauma, or their perceived inadequacies, or the pain that they have inside of themselves, they'll get all those things and they'll check all the boxes. And we've talked about some previous episodes with celebrity suicides and things like that. Then like, yeah, but I, I literally have checked off every single box you told me to check off. Why am I not still happy? And people engage in all kinds of addictions at that point, because I think the disillusionment can be so huge at that point, where it's like, but I, I followed the formula perfectly what society, my parents, my religion, whatever it is, told me to do, and I did it. Why am I not happy now? And I think that can be shattering for a lot of people mentally, or if they choose to, it can be liberating. And they can see that all of those external things that everyone told them would make them happy and fulfilled, then it's like, oh, it's actually an inside game. And then maybe all of that meditation and mindfulness and those things that I've been hearing about, maybe it's time to try that. And so it can either, I think, be a humongous breakdown for someone or it can be a breakthrough. And I know that sounds cliche to say it, but I, I really believe that, 
especially when someone gets everything they've wanted and they're not happy, I think that's a huge transformational opportunity. Well, I think that was part of the point of the social media posts that you were pointing out before. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of your original point is it's for whatever reason, those women at your mother's office have this this story in their heads about, well, if he's not this, then he must be that. Interesting. If he's not married, then he must not be happy. Ah, right. If right. he's not married, then he must... There must be something wrong with him or aren't you, you worried know, about yeah, him? Yeah, exactly. There's mm. like this whole like calculation that they're doing in their heads. And again, that really just comes down to their own view on life, which has nothing to do with you at all. Of course. It's just their perception and maybe they're bored at work, so they're just trying to make small talk with your mom and she's just the you know, it it comes back to the gossip thing we talked about, like gossiping about other people's relationships and like it's such a, an interesting thing that we do. And I also had this interesting thought today when I was driving over here to do this recording, I saw this woman crossing the street. She looked like she could have been about my age and she looked like she wasn't wearing any makeup and she was wearing, you know, workout outfit and she had her hair up and glasses on and she was pushing a stroller. And I had this one moment where I looked at her and I gosh, wow, she must feel so relieved like she's got her trials and she can just kind of like she doesn't have to like look perfect all the time like that was my thought of just like oh I think there's this cultural thought maybe for women or men too like if I I'll present myself as looking really perfect until I get married and have kids and then I can let myself go (laughs) right then I don't have to try so hard anymore right which then is sort of then maybe this primal thing of like a lot of mammalian species do i'm going to puff up my feathers or present (laughs) myself in a way to attract the mate yep to propagate the species but in this case you're saying it's like well we're assuming a lot about this woman you saw but you know well i have the baby i have my man so i don't need to like peak i don't need to peacock anymore right and and then i remember catching myself in that thought and thinking like She's probably worried about something else now. Oh, hell yeah. She's probably stressed about life or, but then again, maybe she isn't stressed. How do I know if she's stressed? How the hell do we know? That's the thing. It was, I just found myself making some assumptions or projecting some things onto this woman and I have no idea what her experience is. But part of my lesson was like thinking that because she had that baby in the stroller, that like her life was more relaxing even though obviously having a child is is a lot of work but it was like it brought it was just some weird old programming that was coming out of my mind in that moment where I was making assumptions but because she had that thing that she could relax a bit you know she didn't have to or maybe because she was so busy focused on the child it didn't matter what she looked like right well, it, and so yeah. and th- there was part of me I think what but that brought up is this idea of like for me personally, I don't I don't want to have to try to like puff up my chest all the time. But like everyone around me, especially in Los Angeles and on social media, it seems like there's so much peacocking that goes on. And it's so exhausting for me. I feel like some people might enjoy it, but I wonder how many people don't enjoy it and really wish that they could just relax and be themselves and not have to like present themselves as as a slightly better version of themselves. All and the also I feel yeah. like it's so misleading it's kind of like catfishing. 
<laughs> where you go on social media and you post all these perfect photos and then people meet you in real life and they're like, you look nothing like your photos and you, you don't act like them. And the person that you are is not who I thought that you were through social media or the online dating site or or maybe our first few dates, you presented yourself as this way. But, you know, that rose colored glasses experience, then we see the real person. And, and I think that that is part of coming back to that show, Love is Blind, that they kept referring to, even though these couples were only together for a few weeks. But even in that matter of a few weeks, there were arguments and they're like, this isn't who you were when I met you behind that wall. Like, you know what I mean? But it, sho- it shows that even after a few weeks, like our perception of people can change because people are trying to to get their our attention by pretending that they're something that they're not. And I think that that's an interesting side of relationships too, is like, it's just, some of it's not even real. Well, I, like I've, okay. So there's a few things I want to unpack really quick. So, uh, do you remember in my, and I know I haven't done standup in a while. It's been like four months since I did a standup gig. The last one I did was at um, our friend Elle's storefront. But I used to have a, a joke in one of my standup routines about how on first dates, it's so weird because instead of actually showing up, you send um, your PR representative version yes. of yourself. And it's yep. like, well, Whitney, I'm Jason Robel. I hosted the first and only primetime series on the cooking channel, graduated 4.0 GPA from Columbia, and I rescued a whole village of Somalian refugees last month. How about you? Right? And we're presenting this glossed over, exquisitely crafted CV, curriculum vitae of our life to people. When it's like, okay, let's fast forward nine months from now. It's like, I'm showing up in my, my ninja pants covered in cat hair with kale chips stuck in my teeth, and I'm high as shit. You know, and you're going to show up, my, the joke is like, you're going to show up in like your best sweatpants from college, your finest period panties, and like a pack of chocolate chip cookies. Like, we don't give a shit. So like, why not just lead with that and be like, hey, and I, I don't, I'm not suggesting this on the first date, but like, hey, I know you're a person with fears and flaws and shortcomings and pain. And there's things that you probably think are fucked up about you that I think I'm fucked up in certain ways. And let's just be human and real. Like, I'm, you know, from the get go, instead of, uh, here, here's my uh, resume and I'm this perfect person. And I just, that's one of the most uncomfortable things of, about dating to me. And, and thankfully, I haven't had a date like that in a long, long time. But it makes me uncomfortable when I remember dates like that, when you can feel the energy of the peacocking happening. And each person is just like, I'm going to puff up more and you're going to puff up. And next thing you know, the whole room is going to be filled with our egoic puffery. And it's just, no one's actually connecting on a human level. It's egos connecting with egos. That can even happen within relationships because there's like this insecurity. When are they going to find out? When are they going to see who I really really, am? Yes, yes. And if, you know, they couldn't possibly love me. And I think maybe this is some, my experiences like men that I've dated short term or men that I was interested in dating, but it didn't actually work out where I perceived that perhaps they didn't, they had intimacy issues because they were afraid that they weren't good enough. Right. Like how could she she couldn't possibly like me or if or maybe I wouldn't like her. Maybe she's not who I think she is. And, you know, like there's this big fear. Like, I don't want you to see who I really am. And I don't know if I want to see who you really are. So let's not even bother. And it's like. I think a lot of relationships, you know, people say that they still don't know each other after X amount of years. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And that to me is scary. I'd so much rather just know who somebody is as much as possible. Actually, I saw that movie I told you about, Jason, with the Spanish film that I went to the premiere of last week. Mm-hmm. Remember I told you about mm-hmm. that? It's mm-hmm. I don't speak Spanish, so I would probably botch the name. I'll try. 
no, nope, I'm not going to try. Never mind. I thought about it and I was like, nope, not going to go there. That's my insecurity. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to offend anyone with my poor pronunciation, but it translates to my boyfriend's pills. Oh, wow. I know pills is like Pilladora. Oh, wow. Right? Uh-huh. Are you saying uh-huh because you know? Or no, no, no. It, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds familiar. No, and, and uh, But I, I forget what the word for boyfriend is. It starts with an N, I think. Novio. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Pilladora. Demi Novia? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds right. Pilladora De- Demi Novia. Yeah, uh-huh. that's the name okay. of the, the movie. And, okay. And I would really love to have the writer on to talk about it because the movie is about basically what I'm talking about in where this guy with a mental illness is afraid of this beautiful woman that he's just started dating, finding out that he has a mental oh, illness. Jesus, that hits close to home. Jesus yeah. Christ. It's a, it's a comedy. Oof. But Oof. it's it's one of those movies where there are times where people were laughing and I'm like, I don't know if I should be laughing because mm. I feel like we're laughing at his mental illness. It's being presented as funny, but it's like it's funny because it's true type of thing. And yeah. but it was a really interesting movie because that's the summary is he actually at the very beginning of the movie. He's talking to his therapist. So I'm not ruin, ruining anything is he's talking to his therapist about how he is afraid to let a woman know that he's suffering from mental illness. And this therapist says to him, you have to let this one know about your mental illness. Have you told her yet? And he says, oh, not yet. I'm going to wait. And this, all this stuff happens, right? So it's like, it's kind of like the fact that he wasn't transparent about his mental illness caused all of these, all of this chaos. Fascinating. Right. And it was like, that's the moral of the story actually is a beautiful story and, and very funny along the way. And before the movie, the one of the producers, I think, was introducing it, how it's so important to bring awareness to mental illness, but also in other cultures where it might be more stigmatized. 100 percent. Right? Yeah. And so it really got me emotional in this film, just this poor guy who's trying so hard to cover up who he really is because he's afraid he won't be accepted for it. Mm. That resonates. So, I mean, so, okay. Yeah. I, first of all, I, I want to see this and then obviously have the writer on. Cause I know that you, you discuss that as a possibility for the podcast here. Well, he already said yes. <clears throat> it's just a matter of okay. time. That, that, um, that's something that I, I struggle with because, uh, as you know, Whitney and, and for the listener, if you've, listen to some of our episodes or have been paying attention to my journey of me as Jason uh, on social media, you know, I, I've been struggling with clinical depression. I was diagnosed six years ago at the time of this podcast and, and still struggle with depression and suicidal ideation. I still do. I don't struggle as much as I used to, but I do still struggle with it. And it's always a question to me of um, when and how do I let someone know that I'm romantically involved with? Like, when is the right time and how do I even broach that subject? And I've had, um, with the last few people I've, I've dated, I've had a, a variety of really interesting reactions when I have told them. You know, one was, um, in particular, one person I dated, uh, her, her father had committed suicide, actually, when she was little. And so um, she had done a lot of work in therapy around it and said that, you know, she didn't really feel threatened by the fact that I had, struggled with clinical depression and, and suicidal ideation. She didn't, she didn't feel freaked out by it. 
Um, but one more recent person was like, you know, I, that, that really concerns me. Like, you know, are you, are you going to kill yourself one day? Are you going to do something drastic? And, and I could tell it was, oh boy, it leads me into like, I don't want to worry this person and I don't want to have this person constantly worried about it because I, I do feel even though it comes up, I'm managing it really well right now with, you know, uh, meditation and supplements and therapy. Like I, I feel like I'm managing well, even though it's there, I know it's there, but I, I still hesitate sometimes about scaring someone away. You know, I, 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 it's not that I don't tell people about it, but it's always something that I still feel that pain in my chest and my heart of like, how am I going to tell this person? Like, Hey, I still think about killing myself sometimes and I still struggle with clinical depression. Like what? I don't know. It's a challenge for me, especially in romantic relationships, because I have no idea how someone's going to react or respond to that. I don't. That did actually come up on that show, Love is Blind. (laughs) Oh, it did? How so? I just remembered that too. And I'm laughing simply because I'm I'm like, well, maybe that show is actually a, like more inspirational than you would think. Just think thinking of as a, a cheesy dating show on Netflix. How but, so? Well, I, I try not to give away too much, but there's a there is a man on the show who has an element of his life that he did not disclose right away, and it does eventually come up, mm. and it caused a major dispute between him and the woman that he got engaged to who was really upset with him for not telling him up front. And he got very defensive. He's like, I'm afraid that if I had told you up front, you wouldn't have wanted to be with me. Well, this is tricky. And and so it was like he he was hiding something from her purposefully. And Out of then, fear of rejection. Yep, because he was hoping, well, once, once she falls in love with me, then I can tell her. It sounds like entrapment, though. But yeah, it was interesting <laughs> because you could see both sides where he was afraid he just wants to be loved. yeah. But technically, he wouldn't be loved for who he truly is if he didn't say who he truly was. And on her end, it was really hard to tell. Was she upset because she doesn't want to be with somebody who had this element of him um, that he revealed to her? Like, was that not okay with her? And had she wanted to know that up front so she could make that decision? Because of that condition or that element. Yep. Uh And then the other thing was, I couldn't tell if she was upset that she wasn't given all the information about him because she didn't want that thing or if she was upset that she didn't get the information because then she felt like he wasn't fully honest. Uh, well, and that yeah. brought up an interesting thing. Both, you know, And the movie did as well. Actually, there's another scene in that film, like, why didn't you tell me? And it's like both characters had this conflict because they were afraid of not getting a chance with somebody and so it does this bring up tricky. a tough thing because this is tricky. I can I can see that like, but you know what? I also it that comes down to control. You're trying to control things, yeah, and you're trying to manipulate people. And wouldn't you much rather just be completely transparent with somebody, and them love you immediately for that yes and like maybe having to wait a little bit longer versus trying to pretend that you're somebody that you're not or hide an element of yourself and then reveal it to them later because you might be losing their love no matter what in that sense right like if they don't love you from the beginning because of that thing then a what if they don't stop loving you once they find out so you're still losing no matter what that person or b you might also lose them as the result of holding off information because then they feel trapped, like you were saying, or then they feel manipulated or then they feel conflicted. 
And I don't think any of it is good. I, I mean, I feel like transparency, it's just that culturally we, we have to work through attachment issues and rejection issues, that, I think. But also culturally, we're kind of expected to present ourselves in certain ways. Like women are, there's a cultural expectation that you're going to put on makeup and maybe wear high heels or, you know, put on a really cute dress and maybe show off your best assets, whether it's your legs or your chest or your butt or like, you know, whatever else, like you're going to accentuate those things to draw attention to it. And, you know, you just kind of like go through this whole routine where I actually feel like some of my best dating experiences were when I didn't do all of those things. Like there was one time I went on a date. It was very last minute. And the place that we were going was going to close down. And we decided to just like meet there as soon as possible that night before it closed. And I barely had time to get ready. So I had to show up in a little bit more of like a vulnerable, raw version of myself than I would have felt comfortable on a first date. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking like, if this person doesn't like me because I didn't like make my hair look a certain way or put on a certain outfit or fin put on like an extra layer of makeup or whatever, like, do I want to, because that's just not me. And then another relationship, I didn't even think, I never was even going into this situation thinking that it would turn into romantic. So I just showed up after my yoga class, like, you know, my hair up and my skin still a little bit sweaty and zero makeup on and wearing just like whatever clothes I put on after class, like zero expectation. And this person still wanted to be with me despite me looking what I perceived as not my best. Me in my, one of my most raw looking states, but they were attracted to me. And I'm like, that makes me feel so much more confident about the relationship. Yeah. hundred percent. I wasn't looking for it and I wasn't trying. I was just being myself and that person wanted me versus like when I feel all done up and whatever and someone chooses me, I'm like, okay, I felt confident. Yes. I felt beautiful. Yes. But was that me on a daily basis? No, for sure. And so then it almost makes it harder. It's like women that feel like they can't step out of the house without makeup on. I'm like, okay, like that's your choice. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you feel like your whole life revolves around trying to make yourself look different than you naturally are, and then that's the only way you feel accepted. It's like it I I imagine it feels like you're living a life of like tension and not enoughness and fear all the time, which I don't think are good for your long term well being. You know? No, I, I hear you. And I, I think the it's also denying the inevitability that if you do enter into some kind of semblance of partnership or longer term relationship, you're going to see that person without makeup in their sweats, with their hair up, sweaty, you know, you're going to see, you know, me input, you know, putting myself in there like stinky, sweaty from yoga class or the gym or whatever. And, and in, in my case, I'll have low emotional points. There are, you know, it, for me to hide my depression from someone is, it's just allaying the inevitable of there's going to be a day when I'm with you in your presence where I'm going to feel low. And so if I'm hiding it from you, 
that's to me feels dishonest in the sense instead of springing it on you where someone's like i didn't as you were saying before i didn't know this part of you existed like why do you get so low all the time is something wrong did i do something wrong and a lot of people will start to reflect the mirror back on them thinking they've done something to cause it rather than up front at some point me saying hey i was diagnosed with clinical depression i manage it these ways it still comes up there are times when i still really get really down sometimes feel suicidal. And I want you to know now because if it comes up, it's not your fault. It's nothing you did. And beyond that, because I think you sent me an article, Whitney, a, a while ago about what are the best ways that a person can support a partner who is struggling with mental health. There were these interesting steps around it. And I think that encouraging a person to show up in a way to support you best is also a great conversation to have. Some people might want a person to you know, physically be with them and be closer or offer a support in a specific kind of way. Some people might want to process those emotions in solitude. So I think for me, it's not just about communicating your mental health struggles or mental illness to your potential future partner, but also communicating ways if they want to support you with it, which I hope that they would, of the best ways you feel supported through that. I think that's also another part of the conversation that's critical. Because if we don't, it's going to come up. That's my point. You're not going to hide it away forever, much like this movie and these TV series. Like It's going to come out. And I think that kind of extrapolates to anything in a relationship. If you're hiding or burying something, life has a way of exhuming those things and bringing them to the surface, even if we try to bury them. Absolutely. I think, I think the big message here to wrap up is that there is no right way and right time to be in a relationship. Nothing is guaranteed to us. Yep. And just like we do in every episode of this show is really questioning what our culture tells us, what our parents tell us, what our friends believe, what, what society seems to believe, what the government is saying. I mean, it's really just not taking things at face value. It's saying like, well, what do I feel? What do I believe? What's important to me? And if you don't know, we're inviting you along on this journey of seeking more clarity and and realizing just because you feel one way today doesn't mean that that's how you'll feel in an hour or tomorrow or a week or a month, year, et cetera. We're constantly changing and evolving and we're always getting new information and having new experiences that shape who we are. And I think actually that to me sounds like the most ideal type of relationship. Can you be with somebody who supports you in that journey, who's along for the ride in that journey, can you respect them and know that they think differently and they live differently than you versus trying to control them? I mean, if I go through all the lessons I've learned through relationships, I feel so grateful because I haven't been married. I have had the gift of being with a lot of different partners and learning so much through each of them. And maybe I could have been with one person and learned a lot just from that one person. I have no idea, right? So I just don't think that there's a right or wrong and any way that we should should do life or should do relationships. And um, I think those conversations are opportunities for us to reflect and, and uh, thank somebody for sharing their opinion, but not internalize it. Yeah. So if anybody else is listening and relating to what you're experiencing, Jason, I think it's important to just encourage them to to not take it too much to heart if somebody else is judging you for not being married or having children or getting divorced or whatever stage you're in, 
you know, maybe you're in a relationship and you're miserable and everybody's telling you, you should get out of this. And sometimes that takes a while to get out of a bad relationship. And then, I mean, gosh, like I learned so much from my friends and their relationships too. my friends Mm -hmm. that are married. Mm -hmm. Wow. I've, I've, I've heard a lot of different scenarios through my friends' marriages. And I guess the older I get, I just am more interested in listening versus judging because I don't have all the answers. For sure. Right? Like it just because, I mean, I actually had this realization with someone who I won't mention, I'm very, very close to and, and going through phases of wanting to protect them, thinking that I'm protecting them. Right? Like who gives me the who said I have even that power or right to protect them and make their, or that I know what's best for them Ooh, that's and fair. judging yeah. this relationship. And I, I, I had a chance to speak about it out loud for the first time in a while or maybe even ever when somebody asked like, oh, is so-and-so still with so-and-so and how do you feel about it? And I was like, you know what? In the past, I had super strong judgments on that relationship. And I'm recognizing so much of my own growth now, realizing that it's not my place to decide whether or not somebody is with this person and who they should be with and how long should they be with them and should they get married. All this, all these shoulds, it has nothing to do with me. It's just my opinion. But just because I have an opinion doesn't mean that it's the right way to do something. And knowing that about myself helps me understand that if somebody feels that way about me or you, Jason, or the listener... It just doesn't matter. Like that's just let them have their perspectives and you don't need to take it to heart. So mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's sagacious advice. The one thing that you reminded me of Wit as we're wrapping up this episode, there was um there was a God, this was in this was last year sometime. Um there was a elderly couple that had been together for like forty or fifty years and uh maybe even longer. And they were interviewing the the husband in the relationship, and they said, you know what, how have you guys stayed together in a contented marriage this long? He said, I married a woman who I knew was changing. She's a, a lot of interests, a lot of things that she was exploring. And he's like, so I feel like I've been married to nine different women over these decades. He said, but I made a decision no matter who she chose to be or change into that I was going to love that woman. And that, that hit me in a really profound way for two reasons, that um, he made a choice to unconditionally love whoever she became, but also acknowledging the fact that none of us are static, that everyone's changing and evolving at different rates, at different paces, in different ways. But to your point, trying to control or manipulate someone into staying the same or like, this is familiar, this is comfortable, this is something I can control and understand. I think that that's denying the nature of who we are in this existence that we're constantly evolving and changing. And can we grow together? Can we love and honor not only ourselves through our own personal changes, but who knows? Maybe if we're with someone and they turn into nine different men or women throughout the course of our lifetime, can we love all those versions of them too? And it's just a question that I'm putting out there into the universe because I thought it was very profound and very sweet Mm. and Mm thought-provoking. Well, thank you for bringing this up today. Yeah, thank you. I've been wanting to, to dig into it for a little while and I appreciate your perspective, Whit. Yeah. And as usual, we will link in the show notes to everything we talked about. We'll link to the book, Marry Him, which I think is a great read. We'll link to the Wisdom, movies. Wisdom of Insecurity. Which is another book. Uh, we'll link to the movie that we mentioned. We'll 
link to the TV shows should you want to <laughs> watch The Bachelor or Love is Blind, which I, again, I think Love is Blind is an interesting movie. It all depends. There's something right or wrong about watching these shows. If you if you look at them as as social information, they can actually be very fascinating from a cultural and psychological standpoint, which is how I choose to watch them these days. And we'll link to the other episodes that we mentioned today. And plus, if you would like to see the behind the scenes video of this recording and other recordings, you can find that on our Patreon account, which is also linked at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. We have lots of free goodies for you there. There's so much on our website if you haven't been yet. There's the podcast show notes and there's free video trainings and workbooks and videos and so much. We we just want to do whatever we can to support you, dear listener, with your journey to discover who who you are and what your well-being is right now and and wants to be in the future and and uh, hopefully just give you lots of things to consider about how you want to live your life. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.